God wants to speak to us and deal with our hearts. And this is what the Bible says in, in Proverbs 11 and 25. And I'm not sure which translation will be on the screen, but I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, a generous, somebody say generous. A generous person will prosper. Somebody say amen. That's what I want right there. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. God wants you to prosper, and he wants you to be refreshed in your life. He doesn't want you to be fearful. He doesn't want you to be always wondering what's next or wondering if you're going to be able to make the next bill or whatever it might be. God wants a prosperous people. And so today we're going to talk about a generous church. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for what we feel in this place. I thank you, God, that I'm a part of a generous church. I thank you for the wonderful people of Stello Church. And I pray that, Lord, all of us today would be convicted and challenged and pushed forward by your word, God. Not condemned, but, Lord, convicted by the word of God to examine ourselves and to continue to progress forward in these areas. For today, God, this is about the heart of the individual. This is about us, God, as we stand before you wanting to be pure and holy in your sight. And we pray that, God, any purity and holiness that we have, we would understand that it is from you and you alone. I speak that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated today. American missionary Jim Elliott once said, and you've probably heard this, Quote, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, why try to hold on to things that are temporary when you and I have eternity to gain? Jim Elliott lived that quote to its fullest essence, being martyred in his attempt to reach a remote South American tribe with the gospel. Elliot, among so many others, have laid down their lives for the hope of eternal gain. Jesus laid this mandate on the shoulders of his believers when he stated this, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall save it. It's paradoxical, isn't it, to think that if we try to keep and try to save and try to hold on to the thing that is temporal, we will actually end up losing that which is eternal. But if we would be willing to let go of those things that are temporary, we know that we have laid hold of those things which are eternal. What a beautiful, beautiful understanding of the essence of the gospel. And the mandate that Christ gave us was one that He Himself completely embodied. You see... He generously laid down his life so that you and I could live and could have freedom. 1 John 3.16 says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Do you see the only love that we know or understand is a love that we know and understand because Jesus gave it all. So this is what we ought to do, he says. We ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Funny enough, I love it when scripture works out like this. If you go back to the gospel of John and not the epistle of John, John 3.16 also says it well. For God so loved the world that he 
that he gave. He was willing to give his only begotten son. So what we understand is this. The cornerstone of our salvation is founded in extravagant generosity from a loving Savior. There's a reason I begin with reminding us of this today. It's because this fact, the fact that he gave so extravagantly, is what brings us to any understanding of generosity at all. And especially financial generosity only comes into perspective when we understand the sacrifice that he gave. When we give of our finances, although we know that it is a sacrifice to give of time, talent, and somebody say treasure. We know that it is a sacrifice to give in these areas. I think though we would all agree that it pales in comparison to the generosity of a loving Savior. And if Christ teaches us that we cannot keep our lives, would we be so foolish to think that we could keep our money? I knew I'd get a good amen right there. I'm not even able to keep my life. Do I really think that I'm going to be able to hold on to my money? Matthew 6 and 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. You see, our world is obsessed with holding on to something that they cannot keep. Our world is obsessed with storing up treasures that will eventually burn up, be eaten up, or be stolen away. But Christ promises us that there is eternal value in our eternal investment. And I'm here to tell you today that your generosity in the kingdom can never be outmatched or undone. God always outgives and outdoes anything that we invest. In fact, He's already given more than we could ever pay in return in that he laid down his own life that you and I might live and so when we look at our finances or our time our talent our treasure and we think in the area of sacrifice what we understand is that anything that we give is just it just pales in comparison it's nothing compared to what God has already done yet people will try to hold on and grasp and do everything they can to keep those little dollar bills. That's why the Bible could be as bold as it is in 1 Timothy 6 and 10 when it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now notice it didn't say money is the root of all evil. Now stick with me. you got to lean in today. This is important. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And watch what happens when it sets in. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from their faith and pierced themselves through many, with many sorrows. The love of money actually hurts the faith of the believer. And it is the root of all evil. Again, I say, and I want to clarify, Jesus never says that money is the enemy or states that you and I shouldn't have money. Actually, what I'm here to preach today is just the opposite. 
Because the scripture says, and it's a powerful, powerful principle, that you and I are to be stewards. Although we're not owners, God has made us stewards. And you see this in many parables that Jesus teaches, that he will give us great talents. He will give us many treasures. But how that treasure will be multiplied here on earth and actually make an impact and a difference is that you and I have a kingdom perspective of stewardship and understand that any blessing that I have been given is only a blessing that God himself has poured out on my life. I know that many of us have worked hard. Many of us have brought ourselves out of what seems to be poverty and brokenness and we can point back to our hard work. I give you honor for hard work. God honors hard work in his word. But I think if we really understand it the way it ought to be understood is that we know this. All credit, all glory and all honor for anything that we are belongs to Christ alone. It's only by Jesus that I am what I am. It's only by His grace. And so His Word teaches the powerful principles of stewardship which example to us that if we sow bountifully and believe, then we will reap bountifully. Today when I talk about stewardship, I'm telling you the reason I believe that this is for everybody and that God gave me that small but important confirmation while I was standing over there is because God wants somebody to understand that He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to sow bountifully and believe. And then you will reap bountifully. That's not just in the area of finances, but it also includes the area of finances. His word tells us that we should sow our finances knowing that we are ultimately not the owners, but we are stewards of what is already God's. That's not something to fear. In this area, I think there's so much fear and condemnation and guilt when it comes to finances that that's why it can get tight in a room when a pastor or a preacher begins to minister. But can I just pause for a moment and tell everybody in this room, you have no reason to fear today. No matter where you're at, whether this is the first time you've heard this, you've been struggling or wrestling with this, you have no reason to fear today. For if you will respond to the word of God with an open heart today, today, today is the day of salvation. If you will respond today, God will begin to do a new work in your life like you have never seen before. It's not something to fear, but can I tell you, I believe this. This is a topic that we should be excited about. This is a topic for the child of God that should move us, that should cause us to be excited, filled with anticipation, knowing that God wants us to reap bountifully. God owns my finances. If He owns my life, if He owns my body, the Bible says that I give my body, which is my reasonable service and sacrifice, and we tell Him, God, You own my life, You own my body, You own my time, then guess what? He owns my money as well. If he doesn't own that, then I guess my next question is, does he actually own the other things? If he doesn't own my money, does he actually own the other things? With this in mind, the principle of tithing becomes very understandable and becomes very beautiful. You say, what about tithing? What is tithing? Well, 
We know a very, very famous scripture, or maybe the one that we quote the most. I'll start there. Malachi 3 and 10 says this. Bring the whole tithe, which is 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Watch this. Test me, God says, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much of a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, that is one scripture on tithe that we love. But what we understand about tithing is that although this is a very late Old Testament prophetic word, that preceding this in the Old Testament, there are so many scriptures that talk about tithing. When the law came into place, tithing was something that was put into the systematic law of God in order to sustain the ministry or the Levites or the house of God. It was used for the maintenance in order to, uh, all of the things that would surround the Holy of Holies, all of the things that would cause there to be the preparation of sacrifice in the house of God, tithing went to that. In, in some ways, you could look at it as a tax. Now, I know, I'm trying to make tithing popular, and the last thing you want to do is compare it to a tax. Amen, somebody? But they would take this and they would use it for the things of God. Now, what you have to understand is that there's many arguments today against whether or not this biblical principle still stands in the New Testament church. Is it something that we are to adhere to? Uh, one of the major arguments of this is, or against tithing is that it was, in fact, more of a tax. And uh, it was ultimately that this principle went out when the law went out and grace came to be. So when Jesus came and grace came in as this new dispensation or the new order that the law, just like dietary restrictions and whatnot, were now no longer in place, that this principle was no longer in place either, and that the principle of gener generosity itself is what would reign. Now, I want to stop for a moment and tell you that there's many things that you'll read in many different articles and many different opinions on this. But one thing that I will say to you is that if you'll go back to the very first mention of tithing, you'll go all the way to a character that was very, very strange in Scripture. And if tithing itself is not contentious enough, let me bring up another contentious and argumentative character in the Bible. And his name was Melchizedek. Now, was he a theophany? Was he Jesus Christ? Was he a real man? Was he a fake man? Now, if you're new here and you've never cracked the Bible open, you are thinking, my Lord, I have come to the wrong church today. No, no, you're at the right church, I promise you. But this character in the Bible meets Abraham, and the scripture says of him that he has no days of origin. He has no mother. He has no father, but that he is righteous, and he is a king of Salem, a king of peace. And many look at him, and they, they believe that this is, a, 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 some would call it pre-incarnate. I don't use that language. Others would say a theophany. Others believe that he was a literal man. But here's what we do understand, is that Abraham, upon speaking to him, said this. He is great. He is righteous. And Abraham introduced tithing by giving this great prince a tenth of all that he had. And so we see tithing in this moment being established. Now, the reason I bring this up is because what you have to understand is that this predated the law. This was before Moses. So people that argue that tithing was something that was ushered in with the law specifically and therefore ushered out with the law specifically, I don't, I'm not sure how they get around the principle in this moment, all the way back to Abraham. Furthermore, can I just tell you, when you move to the New Testament, 
And when you see generosity, what you find is exceptional moments of giving. In fact, when the book of Acts church first came onto the scene, the very first church, when you look at Acts 4 and 35, this is how the church started. The Bible says that they brought all that they had, literally everything that they owned. Those that owned land, they went and sold land and they laid it at the apostles' feet. How many wants to go back to tithing now that you've seen this example of giving? That's extravagant. Now here's what we understand about this. This is an extravagant, beautiful, amazing moment of giving that sustained that first church through some of the most tumultuous years that they would go through. But it was exceptional. It wasn't normative. The most normative version of giving that we see over and over again example is tithing. Both in the Old and the New Testament. Because even when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he rebuked them, but he said this to them. He said, you give in tithing, but you don't pay attention to the weightier matters of the law. He didn't say you shouldn't give. He just said, don't neglect the weightier matters. Yes, tithing is a part of giving. It's a part of the plan of God. But make sure that you don't get so consumed in your giving that you make it about your gift. Because what we know about the self-righteous, pharisaical mindset is that it would cause them to walk in and be very boisterous about what they were giving while the widow with two mites would lowly and humbly give all that she had and feel rebuked, feel like she was less than, feel like she was not as worthy. But God made it very clear, it's not about equal gifts, it's about equal sacrifice. And here's the thing about a tenth, a tithe. Whether it's a tithe for you or a tithe for me, it's still the first ten of whatever God has blessed my life with. And what God has done is He has given us the ability to be a part of a kingdom economy. And if you are in this room right now, I want you to notice what He says here in Malachi. He says it very clearly. He tells them before this, You have not done what I have told you to do. You have robbed God and not given. But... He makes them really a proposition or a promise in this moment. He says, if you will give, just try me, test me and see that I will not open up the windows of heaven. Here's what I'm telling you, is no matter what position you have walked into this room today, whether you've been challenged in your generosity, or you've already been giving, or you've been wondering, God, how can I be a part of the kingdom economy? Here's what I'm telling you, is that this is the same God. He changes not. And today, what He is saying to you is, just try me. Be generous and watch. I will bless your life over and over again. I was so excited because last week, as I was standing in this altar at the end of service, I had one of our brand new believers, brand new converts just baptized in the last couple of months. She was patiently waiting to speak to me, and I saw her. I was talking, and and somebody else grabbed me, and I thought, man, I really, really want to speak to her. And I'm not going to say her name because I wouldn't do, I just wouldn't embarrass her for the world. But she, she stopped me. She said, okay, pastor, I've got to tell you something. We have not even started the generosity series yet. This was last Sunday. Amen. Just talking about the series already got her fired up. She said, guess what? She said, last week, I, I just I, I, I didn't have the sufficient funds that I needed to get through my week. But I had a moment where I felt like God was challenging me to be generous. 
And she said, guess what? I said, tell me what. I mean, I can tell by the smile on your face that this is going in a good direction. She said, I, I just felt God speak to me. And she said, so I gave the last of what I had when I saw the opportunity to be generous. And she said, would you believe it? By the time that I got home, God had two or threefold given more than what I had, what I had donated or given my, my moment to be generous. He tripled it. I watched God. She said, I really believe that being generous leads to God working. Can I just tell you? When Malachi was, was, was prophesying, when the word of God was going forth, it wasn't brand new converts. It wasn't people that this was a new concept to. No, he was talking to those that knew to do good and had not done it. But he was giving them mercy and saying, hey, start today. Start right now and watch. Test me. See that I will not bless you. Stello, if you walked into this room today and you have been challenged in the area of sacrifice specific in your finances, don't let the the enemy beat you up with yesterday, last year, and say, no, I'm cursed. Stop right there. God is not cursing you. He's saying, test me in this. The Lord Almighty will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room to store it. God's going to bless some people at Stello Church. I'm not preaching a false prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching a give it and God will just, he'll just pour it. Listen, generosity goes so much further than giving to get. This is not some sort of scheme. No, this is a principle from the word of God that if you will sow into the kingdom of God, you will reap bountifully. I'm just here to tell you, there's no stock, there's no CD, there's no, uh, no 401k that you can give to that will have a greater return on investment than the kingdom of God. You want to know why? Because God is looking for somebody to bless. God is looking for somebody to pour out blessings upon. And if you think I'm only speaking financial blessing, let me just stop you right there and tell you that it goes so much further than financial blessing. Yes, He wants you to experience experience financial freedom but more than that he wants to give you peace he wants to restore life he wants to move in your home he wants to pour out a blessing that goes beyond finance he will but you've got to test and see and we understand that new testament generosity is frequently greater than the principle of just a tenth and that's why I want to challenge you. You ought to give of your offering as well. We're, we're believing that by the end of the year, we're going to raise $25,000 to pour out into other missions works all across the world. That includes church plants. That includes missionaries. That includes people that we will never see or get to, get to be a part of their work. But we're going to give. We're going to do what we can do from right here. And guess what? As a church, when we sow, when we reap, when we sow bountifully, we are going to reap bountifully. God is going to pour it right back in. I believe that. I believe that. Stello, I don't want to be a place where the resources end or are stifled or stop. 
No, I pray to God that we would be a church that has an open hand. That when God pours in resource, we don't just see what God can do for this local church. We don't just ask how can we build our little Stello castle. No, we pray God, let us be a kingdom minded church. Let this be an offering for the next campus. Let this be something that we can do to sow into the next city. Let this be something that can change the life of the next church planner. I want to be a conduit that God can flow through. And generosity, we understand this. True generosity. Let me just stop for a moment. I feel the presence of God. Would you just pray with me right now? God, in this room, I feel a spirit of generosity moving over every person. I pray that God, it would be conviction, but God, it would also be life-giving. Let your presence rest in this room right now. We trust you. We believe in you. We have faith that, God, you're going to provide for us as families, as individuals, but also for this church. But, God, we know that we don't have to hold on to what is temporal, but that you are giving us eternal value in everything that we give. In Jesus' name. True generosity is giving without any expectation to get anything in return. That's what true generosity looks like. We give it without any expectation to get anything in return. Now, I know God, and I can't outgive Him, but I don't give to Him expecting, God, you have to give this in return. No. That's not why I give. I give because it is a reasonable service and sacrifice. When it just, when I look at what he's done for me, it just pales in comparison to give to his kingdom. It's not about what I can get in return. So I ask myself this question. Am I generous? I ask you that. I ask myself that. Are we generous? Are we a generous church? Are you a generous family? Are you a generous individual? I asked myself that today and as I studied this week. It's not a question to just blow by or just, oh yeah, I gave this much. No, contemplate it and say, God, am I generous? I want to share a few things with you, not to discourage or dissuade, but to really give you the reality of the giving at Stello Church. And can I just pause for a moment and tell you that we're playing a little bit of catch up here at Stello Church. Because Pastor Devin, I am speaking in the third person. Probably because I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to say it and it helps to put it in the third person. Pastor Devin has at times been intimidated to speak on the topic of financial giving. For a couple of reasons. One, we know that giving and generosity has been absolutely twisted and perverted in our modern day Christianity. The culture of Christianity has been absolutely poisoned by a few TV preachers who make it look like something that it's not. And so when new guests come in, I'm always, always leery to talk about this because maybe they will associate Stello Church with something that it's not. I, I ask for forgiveness. Because that should never, ever be a reason for us to not talk about a principle that can bless the lives of the people of God. God wants us to be a blessed church. He wants your family to be blessed. But it happens within the context of His Word. And so I, I haven't. 
talked about it like I should. And maybe another reason is, and I'm just being honest with you, we have been good stewards of what God has poured into our church, such good stewards that we haven't had to worry about giving. And since I don't have to worry about it, maybe I haven't felt the mandate to talk about it. But is that a good enough reason to not speak on a topic that will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on families and individuals? No, that's not a good... In fact, that's just as selfish as the first reason. So again, Pastor Devin, I, I've struggled with this, but no more. Today's a new day. This marks a new season. This will not be an intimidating topic for Stello Church because God wants to bless Stello Church. God wants to exponentially multiply the efforts and the works of Stello Church. God wants Stello Church to be a church that sends and plants other churches and He will use the blessing of finance in order to do so. In fact, would you just lift your hands? Would you pray that right now, God? We pray that this would be a church that financial blessing can flow through so that we can see the advancement of your kingdom right here on earth, right here in the triangle area. I pray, God, use families, use individuals. I speak in the name of Jesus that, Lord, we would see you in this wonderful topic. In Jesus' name. Are we a generous church? I share these statistics with you. No names. These are just on the dashboard of our giving. But these are the statistics that we can see openly. On average, we have 15 weekly givers. This year, we've had 67 unique givers. We have 26 Individual givers that make up 90 plus percent of our giving at Stello Church. 26 that make up 90 plus percent of our giving, our annual giving, is attributed to 26 individual people. Now here's what we know. We know our church is bigger than that. We know there's more than 26 Members at Stello Church. Again, I'm not speaking that out of the 26, everyone gives the same. We're talking about consistency. We're talking about equal sacrifice, not equal gift amount. That's between you and God what that is. If that includes a tenth plus an offering, you need to pray to God. I know there's people that have been challenged in the area of giving where they'll begin to tithe on what they want God to bless them with. I've watched as God has taken our own student pastor over at Covenant Life, and I watched as God began to challenge him and Sister Brittany in the area of giving, and he can testify to the fact that as when he began to actually tithe on what he believed God would give, he watched as God poured that back out. That was a challenge from God to him. It's not a biblical principle that all of us should do that or have to do that, but can I just pause for a moment and tell you that whatever Whatever that 26 frequent consistent giving looks like, it is still 26 individuals that make up 90 plus percent of our giving. If everyone, this is just the statistics, if everyone that considered themselves a member of Stello gave frequently, 
then we would conservatively increase our annual giving by 50%. If everyone that considered themselves a member of Stello Church just begin to give frequently, added themselves to that consistent giving list, our budget would easily increase by 50%. Can I tell you what that would mean for us if our budget increased by 50%? I hope that this increases your faith and your vision. I'm not condemning. I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm praying that the Holy Ghost moves into this room. If we increased our giving by 50%, here's one thing that we could do. I'm just naming what we could do with that 50%. One of any of these things. One of any of these things. We could afford, just with that 50%, a $1 to $2 million mortgage. We could afford to pay a note on a building that cost us $1 to $2 million. We could afford to buy land and build a $1 to $2 million project. Just off of a 50% increase. That ought to get somebody excited. Here's another thing we could do if we wanted to. We could, we could consider a long-term lease space with the ability to monetize that space, whether it be a coffee shop, a co-working space, or an educational space, but we could find something in our city and just off the 50% increase begin to use our space that we are leasing to become a part of the marketplace here in the Raleigh area. Here's another thing that we could do if we wanted to. We could hire a full-time secretary along with another staff position. You could add two staff members with that 50% increase easily. We could purchase, watch this, here's another thing. We could purchase an entire portable church unit and literally start another church campus right here in Raleigh. Off of a 50% increase in the budget just because people said, hey, I want to be a part of the kingdom economics. Here's another thing. We could literally double, if not triple, our missions giving. How many thinks it's worth giving to? How many thinks it's worth being a giving church? How many believes that God... How many believes that this is the future for Stello Church? A church of givers, a church of people that are doing what God has called them to do. And can I just tell you, here's what I know, is that not only will it increase the giving or the budget items here at Stello Church, but you watch. You're going to watch as God pours out blessing on your life, as the things in your life that have felt like they've been blocked up, they're going to begin to open up because the windows of heaven are going to be open and God will pour out a blessing because God always responds to sacrifice. It is a principle of the word of God. You cannot outgive him. I feel this strong today. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive him. Just try me and see. I'm telling you, God doesn't say try me very often. But he said it in this area. He said, just give it a shot. In fact, can I just tell you, I'm about to watch out. Somebody nudge your neighbor and say, pastor's about to say something crazy. It's okay, I promise. I told you to say it. Here's how much I believe in the principle of giving. That I want to challenge anybody in this room to give of your tithing for 90 days. And if you don't see God begin to bless, if your life doesn't change, and you are completely you're completely fed up and you say, I, I tried it, it didn't work. You ready for this? I'm about to, I am about to sound like uh, an infomercial. Stello Church will give you a 90-day money-back guarantee. 
Come see me. We'll write it right back to you. Because so it was the worst thing. Here's what I know. Here's why I know that's that's just not gonna happen. One second, Jordan. I'm being too silly right now for a walk down. I'm sorry, bro. I, I'm serious though. Because 90 days of giving consistently, what you will see is that generosity breeds generosity breeds generosity in your life. And Stello Church is going to be a church of generous givers who are going to see by faith the things of God accomplished. And what we see this year, I'm just telling you, is nothing compared to what we're going to see in the future years. But God wants us to be stewards of what we have now so that he can bless us with what he's going to give us. I believe in faith that God wants to break open a new dimension of giving for Stello Church to be able to do things that we have been praying about. So we can be that generous church. And I've already said it, but what I love about Malachi is that God indicted the people for not giving, for their lack of faith. But then he says to them, but today's the day. Just try me. Just watch. Test me. And you'll see that your generosity will prove to you that God is good. God is faithful. And in this room right now, I don't know what people are going through, but I'm here to tell you that the principle of generosity, I'm not telling you you can buy a miracle. I don't think that's anything that I've preached today, that you can purchase a miracle from God. No, no, no. Our God can't be bought. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. It's not about that. What did I say at the very beginning? It's about the heart. God is speaking to somebody and saying, hey, where is your heart in this Furthermore, can I give you just a little bit more hope on this topic? Not condemnation, but conviction matched with hope. Here's the hope for somebody in this room. When you received the Holy Ghost, you received the Spirit that not only empowers you to cast out demons, to lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover, and to see the supernatural hand of God, but you received and I received Another miraculous work of the Spirit. Radical generosity. Because just like that first church saw miracles, signs and wonders, they also saw God empower them to step out on faith and give and not be afraid. And in this room, what I'm here to tell you is that your generosity is not a work of flesh. Your generosity is not a gimmick. Us giving, us being a giving church, no, no, this is not something. And and can I just stop for a moment and tell you that it would have been a lot easier to teach giving like the modern day church often teaches giving. And you know what that would have looked like? I would have put up 15 different projects that we're giving to. And I would have encouraged you that you should give to these projects because if you're going to give to anything, this is even better than the Red Cross. This is even better than what you can give to on TV or give to in your life. But that's not it. Although I believe that, and we do have great projects, and all the things that I mentioned are important, this is not the church versus another project. This is more than a local nonprofit 501c3. This is kingdom. And the reason I'm teaching it on kingdom principles is because I know, I know from experience. I can preach this with conviction that I've watched that God, if I'll be faithful and I will give, you always give it over and over again. You keep my family. When I feel like I'm at my very end and there's no way I'm going to be able to make it, 
walk out to the mailbox and I find a check. I listened as Pastor Adam Hunley was here. He spoke to our lead team the Saturday evening before he ministered here on Sunday. He began to challenge us in our own area of giving. He said he was standing in a service when God spoke to him and to his wife to give more than they have ever given to missions. Give more than they've ever given. They, this man and his family literally live in countries that are opposed to the gospel, risking their lives. And God would have the audacity to ask him to give a large financial gift. Man, God's got some nerve, doesn't he? Nobody said amen because that's a scary place to say amen. He said, but we gave it with faith. And he said, we stepped up and we handed that. He told our team. He said, as we turned around and walked out, he said, what we did not know is that God had already laid it on the hearts of those people in that room to begin to give us money and offering for our work. And he said, by the time it was said and done, we had, we had been given much more than we had actually given that night. In one night, God had already recouped what they gave in that moment. But you know what had to happen in that room? Everybody had to be obedient. Obedience had to begin to move. A spirit of obedience and trust and faith in the word of God. And now let me tell you, obedience, faith, trust, love, generosity, you don't produce those on your own. You can't make those happen. You can't fix yourself into it. You can't do enough good things to become that type of person. But you know what can empower you to be a person that displays those things? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. And you know, the Bible says that all of this, our love for God, how many knows the Scripture says that? Because truly, let's be honest, generosity is a byproduct of our love for God. But the Bible says that before we even loved Him, while we were yet sinners, guess what? He loved us. And in this room right now, I feel a challenging and a convicting spirit from God. But what I also feel is I feel hope in this room for somebody that believes that, God, I can do this. I can be a part of the kingdom in this significant and special way. But the way that I'm going to do it is not by forcing myself. But, Lord, I believe I'm going to be a cheerful giver because it is a work of your spirit. And in this room right now, I declare in the name of Jesus over Stello Church, that we are going to be a generous church, that we are going to walk in the promises of God. Why? Because we are a spirit-led church, and generosity is a production of the Spirit of God that has dwelled inside every single one of us in this room. So if you want to walk in generosity, I ask you, would you stand with me right now all over this place? Last few statements, I feel the presence of God in this room. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says this. In love, somebody say love. Somebody say it like you mean it. In love, God, He predestined us for adoption, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. In love, He predestined us. You see, Loving God 
is a prerequisite to generosity. But watch this. A prerequisite to loving God is God's love for us. So if you want to be generous, you have to love God. Well, how do I love God? You know that He loves you. You see, none of this is a production of your own power, of your own ability. What this is, is a surrender to the love of God and an understanding of what He has done for you. So I circle all the way back to where we started, and that is I ask you, would you look at the sacrifice of Calvary? Would you look at what the Son of God gave? His, that what He laid down for you and I, His life, His blood, the broken body of Christ, that ultimate sacrifice is a depiction of the love of God. And if the love of God could cause Him to give His only begotten Son, then I know that He can produce a generous spirit within me. So today, I've just got to surrender and be obedient. Would you lift your hands in this room right now? Would you begin to pray that, God? I pray for obedience in this part of my life. I pray for obedience in this area of generosity. I speak in the name of Jesus that, Lord, if I've lacked faith to give, that I would begin to give in this area. I pray that, Lord, before I leave this room, I would make a decision to give, to pour out, because, Lord, I know that you are a blesser, that you are a giver. I see it in your word that you give freely. In Jesus' name. Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Anybody ever seen that scripture? I used to hate that scripture. So how can you hate scripture? Because it made me feel bad. If you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. Well then, I must not love God. Because I don't know about you, but I have a hard time keeping his commandments sometimes. I'm just kidding. I do know about you. And you do too. But see, I was reading it wrong, I think. I was reading it like this. If you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. That sounds stern. That sounds mean. Sounds like God is saying, if you'll keep my commandments, then I know you'll love me. And maybe that is true in a sense. But what if what was really being said there was this? If you love me, then you'll be able to keep my commandments. So why don't you focus on loving me? Start there then the commandments will begin to be kept. Stop starting with the commandments. Well, see, I got to do this, I got to do that, and then God will know I love Him. No, start with the love. If you love me, God, I just want to love you. And Lord, if I love you, I want to know what that looks like. I don't want to do this out of guilt. I don't want to do this out of fear. I don't want to do this out of condemnation. I don't want to do this because I'm afraid of any. No, I want to do this because I love you. And if I love you, you know what? I'm going to keep your commandments. I know that you're true. I know that you're real. And so in this place today, I wonder if there's some disciples of Jesus Christ that would step up to an altar and say, God, I love you. And that's where I'm starting today.